That's getting to be a common number, isn't it? 1,756. We're going to be re reading Romans chapter 8, verses 5 through 11. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of His Spirit who lives in you. This is the Word of God for the people of God. Seated. I had to chuckle every once in a while. You need to understand that um, pastors can be put under pressure. So this morning, I had a lovely individual. I don't even know if they said good morning first. But they said, I hope this week's better than last, or was as good as last week's. Talking about our sermon. I hope your sermon is as good as this week as it was <laughs> Your sermon was good, as good today as it was last week. There, finally got it out. I'm like, oh yeah, that's no pressure. Last week, to me personally, was powerful. It taught me a lot. It made me reflect constantly this past week on what am I hearing Am I being pushed into condemnation? Am I being invited into conviction? So with that going on, you'll find in your bulletin another insert. Who's talking? I, I think I probably have shared this um, at some point during my time here. But this... This list, what you're looking at, who's talking? God on one side, Satan on the other, your thoughts in the middle. That came to me out of a um, difficult time in my life. It was one of those times where those, there again, we, we don't often, or we, nor would we really want to admit this in public, but here we go. When you hear voices in your head, thoughts, that go back and forth and they tear you from one side to the other can get kind of crazy, can it not? See, that's when I was hoping everybody was going to go, Amen, and I'm like, man, I'm not the only one. <laughs> but it does. It can get difficult. And we get into situations that 
that push us and that stretches us and it makes us really, you've got these two sides. And I, I mentioned before, you know, at points it really is the angel on one side and the little devil on the other. And they're like reaching inside of your brain and they're pulling either way. And you get this thought, then you get this thought, and they both contradict one another. And you're like, well, those, you know, something's going on here. And you're trying to catch that balance of what's going on in the middle. And so I can remember being at a point in my life like that and distressed over it. Not stressed, distressed. And going, I, I think I need help. I, I need to go talk to somebody because I think I'm losing it. It was that loud and that pronounced. And in that conversation, Julie, graciously sitting across the dining room table with me, grabs me by the hand and she says, I'm going to tell you this, and I think it's coming from the Lord. I said, all right. She says, listen for the pronouns. And I'm like, you know, when you're in a dire situation, you're, you're looking for some real solid, strong advice, right? You know, something that you can sink your teeth into and go, that's what I need. I didn't do so well in English. Pronouns are a struggle for me. But I'm like, okay, you know, I'll take you what you give me. And so I went to the Scriptures, and I started looking at that. And, and that's where this comes from, is because what I understood at that point in time is that the pronouns for me, he, him, his, I, our, all of those fall into categories. In your list here, you'll see that out of Revelation chapter 12, that Satan is called the accuser. It's interesting, he's called the accuser in Revelation chapter 12, but you can go all the way back to Genesis and see his accusation of God. And his accusation was this to Adam and Eve. He said, did he really say, pronoun, he, pointing at someone else? God in Scripture is called the great... I am, I. So as you're getting in, as I'm hearing these voices and, and these phrases, I began to write them all out. I just wrote them. And whatever they were, man, I was wide open honest. And I started writing them. And then I started circling the pronouns in each one of those statements. Come to find out, many of them were accusations. Who do you think you are? Did God really say? Did He really say? And then I would hear, and part of the other list was, I told you I would protect you. I told you that I would take care of you. And it all started falling into place for me. So what I did was, I, I really dove into understanding and learning God's character and His attributes. I did the same with Satan. 
If you're in a fight, you need to know your enemy. True? So that's what I did. So I have this list of all of the attributes of God and all of the characteristics and attributes of Satan. And so I look at my life and I understand what's the, the season of life that I'm in. And so I go through those lists. And I understand at points in my life and where I'm at right now, what does God want to be to me? And so I spend a lot of time in prayer just asking Him. And I go down this list of attributes and I go down this list of characteristics of who He is. And he's like, Ian, I want to be your shield. I want to be your protector. I want to be your truth. I want you to know that I love you. Which flies in the face of the feelings and the thoughts that I have of my own personal unworthiness. It's interesting because... You can see these things and understand that knowing that God and Satan are opposites. True? If God is truth, then Satan is a liar. Plain and simple. So what I do is as I'm going through seasons of life and what I'm learning and what God is shaping me into and what He's molding me into, then I pull His characteristics of who He wants to be to me. And I list those out. And then I have an idea and an understanding of what type of attacks that I may be facing. Because since God and Satan are opposites, and God wants to be this to me, then Satan is going to distract me and try to stop me as he attacks me from this point. If God wants me to understand just how deeply loved I am, then the enemy is going to attack me by making me feel unloved, unwanted, uncared for, alone. You see how this works? Pretty interesting, isn't it? Practical, isn't it? So, I put this list together for you. These are things that I feel like, as a church, that God wants to reveal Himself to us as. That's why I put them in here. For you personally, there are other things. God's character and His attributes are unlimited. So He will meet you where you are. He will be to you what you need Him to be so that you can grow and build in what He's called you to be today. So research them. Look them up. Understand that God is for you and that He has set you aside to meet with Him and to be intimate in an intimate relationship with you by revealing to you who He is. At the same time, put your armor on. Get ready. It doesn't come without a fight but you have a heads up on how the enemy could be attacking you and would be attacking you. That's a whole lot, isn't it? Could we just say amen and be dismissed? <laughs> it's a lot, isn't it? It's, it really is, and, and I, it does not do it justice at all 
Um, we'll, we'll be talking about it and working through it as, as we go along. But, you know, what I've just shared with you took me years in going through and learning. But it did start with listen for the pronouns, understand and know God's characteristics and his attributes and who he is, and the enemy. That's where it starts. And that's where it started for me. Which helped me even further understand this passage that we read this morning. Chapter 8, Romans chapter 8, verse 5. Those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what the sinful nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The sinful nature. Something that we all in this room have in common. We all have it. The sinful nature is that part of us who, that um, impels us to commit sin, to go against God's heart, against His law. We're all tempted. It's all natural. And I say it's natural because do you need to teach a child how to lie? No. Unfortunately. Do you need to teach a child how to not be selfish? Some of us still struggle with that, do we not? But those are things that are natural to them. And we all went through that. And that's the sin nature. That's when Adam and Eve disobeyed God. And the sacrifice was made for them to be clothed. And that's what passed along to their generation. Cain murdered Abel. It passed along. And it's passed along and it's passed along and that's what we have. So what Paul is saying here is that if you live according to the sin nature, according to, walk after, that's your intention in living. If you move in that direction, if you walk after that, then your mind is set on what the sin nature desires. That doesn't mean it's all about drugs and alcohol and pornography and, and all that stuff. It can be selfishness. It can be greed. It can be, and the list goes on. If we're driven for that, and that's what we pursue, that's living according to the sin nature. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The Spirit. Not something that often is talked about in churches. Talk a lot about God, talk a lot about Jesus. Not so much the Spirit, but that's part of what we're learning. The Spirit is that very Spirit of God that raised Jesus from the dead is alive in you. The Bible tells us that the Spirit of God has been deposited into you. We've talked before that just like in the Old Testament, the Ark of the Covenant that the Israelites took from place to place, there was a mercy seat on top of the ark. There was a place where the Spirit of God abode. It lived there, and they would put them in, he would go into the tabernacle and into the Holy of Holies, and that's where the Spirit of God would rest. 
And only once a year would the priest go in to the Holy of Holies to sacrifice and confess the sins of the people. And as he walked in, he had nice little bells around the bottom of his robe and a rope tied to his ankle. Because if he walked in there and there was sin in his life, then the bells stopped ringing. And he would have to be drugged out of the Holy of Holies. Because nobody else is going to go in there and get him. Would you? If I hear the bell stop ringing, I'm like, man, you better hope that rope's tight. Because I'm not going in there because I know what will happen. But that same spirit that rested on the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant in the Holy of Holies is in you. That's why I've said before, you're a walking Ark of the Covenant. That's the spirit that we need to get to know. That's the spirit that we live and want to live in accordance with. That's the spirit that prompts us in our day-to-day -day lives. We call it, and I've talked about this before, something, quote-unquote, told me. You may be at work, and there is somebody that comes talk to you, and they tell you about a, a difficult situation that's happening in their life, and you one of the first thoughts in your mind or one of your thoughts is like, you know, I need to pray for that person. Right now, I just need to pray for this person. Uh, I don't think so. Where did that thought, you need to pray for this person, come from? Hmm. Is it from the tempter? The liar? The instigator? The accuser? The thief or the murderer? Or is it the one that has love, truth, hope, goodness, and is life-giving. You see the wonderful benefit of the list? So the Holy Spirit tells you, I want you to pray for this person and pray for them now, but I don't. I, flesh. I don't want somebody to think bad of me. I don't want them to think I'm crazy. I don't know if they believe what I believe. I don't, I don't, I don't. This is where God's like, this isn't about you. That's where Paul says, die to self. That sin nature, that flesh is what he's talking about, to die. Allow that to just die. Paul goes on. He says, the mind of the sinful man, this is verse 6, the mind of the sinful man is death, but the spirit is life and peace. What positive outcome have you had from sinning? I, obviously, I'm a list guy. I don't have anything on my list <laughs> that has really worked out well for me by living according to my sinful nature. Now, living according to the Spirit, life and peace... Now, that does not say trouble-free. That does not say easy. But you guys know enough of my life and the difficulties and struggles that I have faced that in those difficulties I can tell you that I've had peace in those difficulties and I have lived through them and my life is more abundant now than it was then. 
living according to the Spirit, following His lead, listening for His voice, being obedient, even if I'm called a fool. It's okay. I've been called worse. But Paul is encouraging to set aside and giving us proof that the mindset, the thought processes of the sinful man is not going to lead anywhere but death. But he's promising that there is life and peace by following the Spirit. Verse 7, the sinful mind is hostile to God, doesn't want to do what God wants done. Thinking about self, not pursuing or desiring what God wants or even created for you to do. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Nor can it do so. Because there's this spiritual battle that's been taking place. And if you're not surrendered to Christ, and Christ doesn't live in you, or, or His Spirit doesn't live in you, then you have no foundations by which to follow Him. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. You can't. That doesn't say that He stops loving you. I think about my kids. There are plenty of opportunities for them to get involved and do things that would not please me. Does that mean I stop loving them? No. And that's one thing that the enemy tries to work into our minds. When we read things like this, it's like, well, you know, if you're controlled by the sinful nature, then you can't please God. Then you know what? Then you're on your own. And that's not true. That is not at all what Paul is saying here, and that's not at all what God wants us to believe. But if my kids are doing those things that please my heart, I love them just the same. You know why? Because we're not earning it. It's not about earning it. If I, in my relationship with my children, the closer we are, the more intimate our relationship is, the more so they want to please me. And it's the same way. The more you get to know the Lord, the more you want of Him. The more you want to be closer to Him, but what that means is some of that sinful, we, gotta let, we have to let go. It's like, I, <laughs> I've, had, I've had plenty of opportunities for my kids to, to come up to me and go, you know, Dad, can I, have, can I have a cookie? They never stand like this. There is something in their hands. I know it. Probably from the crumbs on their face. But anyway, you know. So we can't walk up to God and go, God, you know, I, I want this and I want to be closer to you and all and have something hiding behind our back. You know what? He knows what's there anyway. Pull it out in front, man, just deal with it. 
And we talked about that last week, too, of just... When we, we were talking about kids and, and just for them to just apologize. I had one of those situations this week, you know, about our house. and We've been working on all the water and all that stuff. And I've been rerouting downspouts in the whole nine yards. And I've got these downspouts running through the yard and everything. <laughs> Emma, bless her heart, comes riding up to me on her bicycle. And she's like, uh, dad. I'm like, yeah, what's up? She goes, uh, you know that new thing you put in the yard out there? well, I kind of lost control of my bike and ran it right over. And I'm like, yeah, well, we're going to have to fix that downspout. Instead of me walking outside and looking at the downspout that's been crushed and going, who broke the downspout? Who rode over it? But just the willingness to be open and honest speaks volumes to relationship, does it not? And that's what God is with us. Don't walk up to Him with sin hiding behind your back. You want the relationship with Him? He already knows it. Put it in front of Him. Verse 9. This is where I take a deep breath and go, as Paul writes, he says, You, however, are not controlled by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit of God that lives in you. Because we've been talking a whole lot about sinful nature. kind of makes you uncomfortable. Just like, man, I tell you, this kind of makes me squirm a little bit because we have all of these things running through our head about the things that I really need to let go, that I need to give up, that I need to confess. But then verse 9 gives us this promise. But you, however, are not controlled by the sinful nature. It can also make you think, I don't think Paul knows me very well. Because I have Christ that lives in me, but you know what? I am not perfect. Right? I am not perfect. Truth? Let me read something for you. <clears throat> this is another thing that Paul wrote. This is actually in Romans chapter 7. Okay, I'm going to read this, and this is from the translation called The Message. Okay, Romans chapter 7, verses 14 through 25. It's a little long, but you guys are going to relate. I know that all of God's commands are spiritual, but I am not. Isn't this also your experience? Yes, I'm, I'm full of myself after all. I spent a long time in sin's prison. What I don't understand about myself is that I decide one way, but then I act another. Doing things I absolutely despise. So if I can't be trusted to figure out what is best for myself and then do it, it becomes obvious that God's commands are necessary. But I need something more. For if I know the law, but still can't keep it, and if the power of sin within me keeps sabotaging my best intentions, I obviously need help. I realize that I don't have what it takes. I can will it, but I can't do it. I decide to do good, but I really don't do it. I decide not to do bad, but then I 
I do it anyway. My decisions, such as they are, don't result in actions. Something has gone wrong deep within me, and it gets the better of me every time. It happens so regularly that it's predictable. The moment I decide to do good, sin is there to trip me up. I truly delight in God's commands, but it's pretty obvious that not all of me joins in that delight. Parts of me covertly rebel, and just when I least expect it, they take charge. I've tried everything, but nothing helps. I'm at the end of my rope. Is there no one that can do anything for me? Isn't that the real question? The answer, thank God, is that Jesus Christ can and does. He acted to set things right in this life of contradictions, where I want to serve God with my whole heart and mind, but I am pulled by the influence of sin to do something totally different. You ever been there? The struggle. The pull. Here's your sermon in a sentence. The Holy Spirit is greater. I can try all I want, but to understand the Holy Spirit is greater. He is greater than my struggle. He is greater than my fall. He's bigger than what I'm facing. And He lives in me. And He lives in me. This list of God's characteristics are the same characteristics as the Holy Spirit that live in you. So in the struggle, God is with you with hope and love. Your job is to surrender and believe. And even in that, ask Him for that. I don't, I don't know how to do this. Help me. I don't know how to fight this. Help me. God, I don't know how to fight this. God, I can't give this. I don't know how to give this up. I don't know. I don't know. That's a great conversation to have with your father. Because he will answer. The struggle that we face is there. There is an enemy seeking to steal, kill, and destroy. A roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. The fight is there. But so is the hope. And it's living. It, the Holy Spirit, is living in you. Paul goes on, verse 10. But if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. Your spirit, who you are, is alive. Will we face death physically? Yes. Eternally? No. And that's the connection, the Holy Spirit connecting with your spirit. So it's that situation when you're at the grocery store and the Lord tells you, I say the Lord, the thought comes across your mind to pay for the person in front of you or to get 
cash back, which is a whole situation in my life, but to get cash back for the lady in front of you who you don't know, and you push the button on your after you purchase your groceries, I push the button and it says, do you want cash back? And I said, I do not. And the screen goes, bzz, bzz, bzz. do you want cash back? No. And all I heard in my mind was, oh man. So sure enough, whole situation takes place. I have to go back through the line, buy a Coke so I can get 20 bucks. Go out to the lady's car to say I'm supposed to give you this money. She's frantically locking her doors because I have finally given in to what God wanted me to do and I'm running across the parking lot yelling, ma'am! And she's like, who is this lunatic? Slam the doors, <laughs> rolling up the windows fast as she can. And I'm like, no, 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 no. You know, and I'm like, I'm holding up a 20, which is even worse. <laughs> and I'm like, come on, you know, this is for you. You know, this is for you. She's like, I don't know you. I'm like, I know. <laughs> but I'm like, really? This, this is what God wants. This is what He wants for you. And so I backed off from her car and I said, just please put your window down. I explained everything. And in tears, she took the money and said, I had just spent my last dollars. There's also a situation where I'm walking in the grocery store and I picked up some groceries and <clears throat> I hear there's a lady going to come walking past your aisle. So I'm standing in the bread aisle and you know how you can see at the end and people go past. There's a lady that's going to come walking past the aisle. Her hands will be full of groceries. Give her your cart. What? I'm like, okay, so how, where, God, where are you in this? What, what is, that seems so odd. Until she walked past with her arms full of groceries. And she walked past the aisle. And I thought, am I supposed to follow her or give her the cart or what? No, she came whipping back through and she's walking up the aisle, arms full of groceries. And as she's walking towards me, I'm on one end, she's on the other. As she's walking up towards me, I'm just staring at her, just taking stuff out of my cart. Going, okay, I'm going to be giving this cart up. And sure enough, I said, ma'am, can I give you this cart? She goes, oh, that would be such a blessing, thank you. That was it. That was it. But that wasn't it in God's book. In God's book, that was obedience. But it's hearing the Spirit talk to you in everyday situations of life. You know why? Because He wants to be involved. Do you know what I enjoy about my kids? Is being involved in their lives. I like to be involved. I like to see what they're doing. I like to see what they're up to. I like to teach them things. God's no different. God just doesn't fit on Sundays and not just in the four-wall church. He is out and about. And He wants to engage other people through you. That's listening. That's hearing. That's engaging and working with the Holy Spirit. That's living according to the Spirit. And you know what? It's a blast. It's a lot of fun. Is it always easy? No. Is it difficult at times? Yes. But is it peaceful? Yeah. Is it life-giving? Absolutely. 
Is it death? No. It is not. Living according to the Spirit. You have Christ and the Spirit of Christ that lives in you. And because the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who lives in you. Verse 11. His Spirit lives in you. The very Spirit of God who was there when the world was created lives in you. Lives in you. Is alive in you. Wants to touch somebody else through you. And the more we can empty our hands of the sin that we hold on to and the things that we carry, the more open our arms are to hold on to the one who made us. I would just encourage you. Ask him, God, what do I need to get rid of? What do I need to leave at the foot of the cross? And what further do you want to do with me? The Holy Spirit is greater than whatever you think of Him right now. Step into it. Invite Him. Be a part of it. Learn who He is and how that fits in your everyday life in the thoughts that go through your mind. Because you know what? Most people, when they start and step into this, tell me, He's been talking to me the whole time. And I didn't know it. It's true. He talks constantly. He is involved in our lives constantly. Let me pray for you. Father, Lord God, I thank you for this time that you've given us. God, just to be together, to understand some truths, to walk through your word, to laugh to enjoy you and enjoy one another. Father, thank you for your blessings upon us. God, I ask that you tune our ears into your voice and understanding that it is you, your spirit that lives within us and that you are for us, to help us, to be with us, to let us know that you love us. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.